sports is how, you know, we play out what it means to be what it means to be American. Sports is like one of our most powerful contexts through which we play that out. And it's, um, again, it's, it's not all bad. It's not all good. It's just, com- it makes things complicated. That's Matt Bowers of the Cap City Cobras talking real big picture about sports in America. Welcome to Sandlot Social Club. I'm Adam, your host. In addition to being my teammate and holding down first base, Dr. Bowers is a professor in the Department of Kinesiology and Health Education at the University of Texas, where he studies sports development systems and teaches a signature class about building winning teams. Naturally, we had a lot to talk about His field of study is fascinating, so we met up for a chat in his office at the football stadium to toss around a few ideas on a quiet summer day, and I got to sit in the student chair a few inches lower than Matt and learn a thing or two about what keeps us playing. I mean, I always want, I loved sports. I wanted to be the general manager of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers when I was a a kid. I'm from the Tampa Bay area. And as I was thinking about colleges and where I would go and what I would pursue, looking at, you know, some nerdier spots and stuff, and then realized like, I want to study sports. Like you don't go to like the symphony to study hip hop. You go to a public institution where sports are king and queen, right? So I studied sports management as an undergrad, master student, a doctoral student. I might have, I literally might be the first person who did all of those. It's a relatively new field. And while I was at the University of Florida, I worked with the football program for a bunch of seasons in a student capacity, working with like compliance and recruiting and stuff like that. I had an opportunity to go and work as a grad assistant with the women's basketball program at the University of Florida, uh, which was super fun, was getting into coaching, uh, and then kind of realized like, I don't want to be a coach. And at the time, I had some professors at, at Florida that were, were like, hey, you'd be a pretty good professor, probably. So I started looking into that, had some opportunities, and decided to come to Texas because that's where I could work under a woman named Chris Green, studying like athlete development systems, which is what I'm really interested in. And so did my PhD here. There happened to be a little sort of opening, a vacuum that, that was created right as I was winding down and I've been able to stay on ever since. So, What does that mean that you study development systems? A lot of people think of sports as games. Yeah. And, and we'll probably come back to this, but I, I do as well to a certain extent. When we talk about systems for athlete development, I'm talking about like the, what is the zoomed out kind of like macro ways we think about how policy, program design, Um, All these things impact the way that athletes are developed. So uh, naturally, my interest didn't necessarily start there, but I've ended up in a place where I I focus a lot on youth sports because, I mean, that is where this all happens. And in the U.S., we are such a unique unsystem if you will. We don't like government intervention. We don't have a lot of really clear guiding policies. It's very much a market-driven 
approach to to how we develop athletes, which is a double-edged sword. So it, it creates some interesting opportunities and has not prevented us from being a global sports superpower. But there's so many things we could do better to create better experiences for, for kids, develop better athletes in healthier ways. Yeah, I read in your, I think in your bio or something, it says the impact is on performance outcomes and mass participation. And I, you know, I, I was trying to think of what that means. And to me, that means the way that, you know, professional athletes or train, you know, athletes in training show up in, in the games that they're playing, but also the way that we all relate to these games and pl- either in playing them or watching them or following them or, or, or supporting other people playing them, our family members, our children and such. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, that, that's it. And I, I think there's this been this, like, there's this false dichotomy that you can like either try to create things that are good for like every, the everybody, you know, like the average person yeah. or you, you know, or focus on elite development and those aren't mutually exclusive and they don't have to be. And so yeah. how do we create ways that allow everybody to get a better sports experience and, and to be included in the sports systems that, that we have in ways that, that we just don't currently allow? It's very interesting. And it makes me think of my experiences in youth sports too, in particular, a lot of little league. You know, I played a lot of little league and a lot of travel baseball. I never thought of it at the time as a system. My lens on the world has changed a lot as I've gotten older too. And then of course, meeting folks like you who are like, I study this and I'm like, yeah, it is real. It's a real thing. Like these things are impacting us. And I see that now a lot more clearly as an adult, but when you're in it, you're really close to it and you don't yeah. see how it's having an effect on you. No, and, and you don't see it. And we see this a ton with, you know, you can't, you can't separate like talking about kids without talking about parents as well in these, these youth sports experiences. And we pull people into this arms race yeah. of like, how much can I just bludgeon my kid with personal trainers and additional this and yeah. travel club that it is kind of sucking the fun out of out of sport and and that's part of what drew me to studying this stuff yeah. was you know I was coaching at a at a relatively elite level and it's just like I had these these sort of moments or looking around I was like why isn't anyone having any fun doing this like I know there are stakes I know there are reasons to take this very seriously but at the same time like it is a game and and that's that's not to like oversimplify it, but at its most like fundamental level, it's a it is a game. And like so, when I see a fourteen year old kid who's just like miserable at at their job, that's mm-hmm. basically it's like looking at a forty five year old who's like punching the clock at a cubicle. Yeah. Like you see that with some kids, they're just so overcommitted and overworked and overstructured and everything that like. They're kind of just punching the clock. Yeah, and you mentioned overly structured spaces. And I know one of the areas that you specialize in- This is, is a good segue. This is a great segue, a really good is, segue. Is unstructured yeah. spaces in sports. So can you tell me a little bit about what that means? Yeah, it means Sandlot, yeah. right? Like, I, I mean, it, it's like we're academic, so we have to put particular right. terms on it and, and all. But like my dissertation and all was, was looking at these unstructured spaces. Yeah. And, you know, if we're to believe, and there's evidence to, to suggest we should, that recent generations have less 
opportunity to play in these kind of neighborhood mm-hmm. unstructured settings if, if 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 that's accurate the question i approached my my research with was well, what are we losing then right right like and it's not to say that organized sports are bad i'm i'm very quick to always point that out like i love sports um on, on a number of levels but i think about my favorite times and maybe this is the case for you too of like my favorite times were not necessarily when I was playing at the highest level and do it, it was like in the backyard mm-hmm. at with a friend's basketball hoop or out making up some, some game, you know, or, or playing. It's a hurt. I'm from Florida going out in a hurricane and playing a football <laughs> game with my friends. That was just like the ultimate mud bowl. And stuff. like, those are the things that I think about as being really meaningful to me. And so I guess I started from a place of like unpacking why, like yeah. why? Why is that meaningful? And what val- is there value in in these experiences? And is there an urgency around like understanding this value as we seem to be losing more and more mm-hmm. of of that opportunity yeah. for kids? And so it's sort of uncanny or a coincidence of some sort that you would also end up in your life playing on a, is on it? a baseball team. Is it a coincidence <laughs> or have you been planted here? Or have I, yeah. Have I been? You rose up un- out of undercover. the ground at Patterson Park. <laughs> I, yeah, I did. So so I, I got my start. And so I, I should probably back up and say, I'm not really a baseball player. I left baseball pretty quickly. Yeah. In part because, this might get me in trouble, but in part because like I didn't like baseball kids. They were the kids that were like kind of like bullyish you know, in, in my space. And this that, is in Florida. This is in Florida. Which you is know, like a base, baseball yeah. state where their baseball kids were like baseball kids. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and maybe it was just that they were more serious than I wanted to be at the time or whatever, but like the vibe was, was off for me. Yeah. Um, and so I like, I've, I've always loved basketball. I went in kind of a basketball direction. So Seth, who, who was on the first episode of Sandlot Social Club, he and I did our PhDs together here at, at Texas and he's obviously a big baseball maniac. And, you know, he, he'd been out with the Cobras for a season, two, two, three seasons maybe, and was like, hey, you should just come out. You know, you, he knows what I was interested in with the Sandlot stuff. He's like, just come and, and hang out. Like, I promise you, it's a, it's a cool space. And I was like, but I suck, or I assume I suck. I don't even know. And, you know, eventually, I don't know what, was, what it was that finally compelled me to to do it but he broke through and I went out to a practice I think I was wearing jeans mm-hmm. I, because I think that's what I thought like sandlot meant I mean the jet yeah I was jeans. thinking of yeah I was thinking of wearing my PF flyers and yeah. my jeans and so I went out there I was terrible and very sore for very long after um, but you know to to kind of the point that he was making it was like this is a different space. And this is the space that I'm constantly trying to cultivate, a space of inclusion, a space of like kind of equity almost, you know, like I know you throw those words out and, and that can say different things to, to people. But like when you look at the composition of, of a lot of these Sandlot teams from a age, skill, gender you know, like the, from, from that standpoint, we see teams that couldn't really exist in any other form. Right. Right. Like 
this the teams the cobras as they're constituted and have been could not really exist in the same way as like a you know a men's league team or something right, like right, that right. and so i quickly became really fascinated i mean it is kind of a laboratory to be embedded and and thinking about a lot of the stuff and putting myself through a lot of the things that i'm advocating for 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 kids and it, it's been an amazing space or i i mean this is my fifth or sixth season. So you had been studying and thinking about structure versus unstructure for children in a youth sports. And then you entered this burgeoning space where adults were playing a game in an unstructured way. Mm -hmm. What kind of lights turned on in your brain while you were doing that. I'm imagining there's a lot of firing going on inside that absolutely inside that head of yours. Oh no, totally. Like why does it work? Why is it growing? Why is it appealing to people? What is it doing that's different? You know, like spending a lot of time reflecting on those things. And I, and I think first and foremost, when you, when you think about, all right, let's look at organized, you know, like your kind of traditional organized adult baseball setting versus a sandlot setting. It's like the internal logic is actually different. Mm-hmm. Some people might push back on this, but the obvious internal logic of a traditional men's league baseball team is to win the game, mm-hmm. right? And and it's not that in Sandlot we're not trying to win and, and, and do all that, but the internal logic is a little different. The internal logic of Sandlot is to keep playing, right? And so that changes things. That creates new opportunities. It creates challenges too, right? Especially, look, we've grown here in Austin. What are there, a billion teams now or yeah. something? Like we've exploded from, you know, the Playboys at the early onset being being the, the iconic, the spiritual kind of starting point of, of Sandlot to the Hardin Arrows and us and then the growth that happened. It's fascinating because I, I look around and you see how there's been this appeal that's brought people in, but the more people you add to it, the more it kind of challenges the the way that the the way that it works mm-hmm. right cuz you're bringing in more people teams are starting up and teams are much more i, I don't blame them I, I i feel like teams are much more focused on accelerating that like trajectory to being competitive i mean the cobras didn't win a game for three seasons or something, yeah. right? And so now everybody wants to join in and be competitive and have fun. And, and like, that's natural. But what it's doing is it's it's like the team compositions are shifting to accelerate that, that, that ability to be competitive. And so that's a challenge because when you have folks who come in and who aren't adhering to the, 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 the sort of unwritten codes of, of Sandlot, then... That, that creates a tension that has to be relieved or resolved. Um, and we've seen it play out. Even some of our own games, you probably remember where it's like you can almost be like, that guy doesn't want to be here. Like that, that guy right. doesn't want to, he wants to play baseball right. and win. He doesn't really want to be in Sandlot. Right. Or, or maybe he thinks he does, but it doesn't quite know how to do that yeah. in a way where it, it's, it sort of fits with 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 the expectations and the fact that it's so self-governed yeah is really fascinating right so like we as a team have to like adhere to a certain social contract as as we play right. and if we break that that creates that creates some tension right that has to be resolved because again the logic of sandlot is like there's no standings yeah we're not 
we're not playing for, and which is very important, by the way, to preserving what Sandlot is. Yeah. The fact that we do not have a playoffs and a finals and a championship and standings is actually one of the most critical factors in Sandlot being able to continue to be what mm. it's what it's been. Why is that? Because it shifts the calculus, right? Like so for right now it's our motivation is how do we keep playing? Yeah. Right? Like how do we get more games on the books and do that? If you impose that structure onto it, it actually like inverts that. It mm. flips it to where like we want fewer teams playing fewer games Mm -hmm. because that's how we, we show who's the best. Mm -hmm. And that's antithetical to Sandlot, at Mm -hmm. least as, as I sort of conceptualize it. I see other leagues that kind of have standings around the country and stuff. And some of them, and a lot of them seem to have really good vibes too in in some of those spaces. But it also, what you're saying makes me think about the long-term effects of, of that over time. It's right? corrosive. It'll it's, be corrosive. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a sort of like slowly boiling pot. Um, I really love that there are no standings. I don't know how I come off to other people on the team. Like a real prick. I, yeah, probably a real asshole. <laughs> um, I hope it's as somebody who like genuinely is is trying as hard as possible just to not care about the outcome and just no like, absolutely uh, i mean you you are you are definitely one of the i mean you you fit a sort of spirit animal archetype we have a very long runway in terms of like you can come hang out and practice yeah for for a long time but like you don't get a jersey until you've been sort of vetted yeah in in a way that is you know it, it doesn't mean we all have to be the same right it just means that like you have to have to fit and play a role and you have to help us with the, like the goal of being who we, we are and continuing to play. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm somebody who like does some stuff behind the scenes for the Cobras and all, you know, like helps not steer the ship exactly, but just, you know, sort of offer thoughts and and advice and, and we're maybe much more intentional than people might realize about stuff mm-hmm. um like for example and and tk who to me is one of the the iconic sandlot legends thomas thomas tk topless tk yes. king um yeah. on the cobras he is such a quiet force for upholding certain values and approaches so so if you're listening to this and you've played the cobras or whatever like you may have noticed we'd never ever post the score. I, maybe you haven't noticed, but we never, <laughs> ever do. And some of that comes from philosophically from TK and like, how do we want to represent ourselves? And that's not a judgment of teams that talk about mm-hmm. like, hey, we had a great win. Like that's totally, the beauty of Sandlot is you can do whatever you want to do. Yeah. Right. And and so like there may be teams or we may be a team that people look at and are like, screw those. Like, I don't like cobras whatever um and that's that's totally fine but the beauty of sandlot is just like yeah they can do it however they want there is no requirements of the league or you know whatever so yeah we have a lot of kind of i guess like kind of core values and principles that we try to uphold in different ways this also partially comes from me being a nerd and i i I actually teach a class at texas it's a signature course called building winning teams where we use sports and the research around high performing teams to 
teach freshmen how to like work in a lab partnership, mm-hmm. to be in a sorority, to work with their church group and like, you know, whatever it may, their intramural yeah, teams team. are everywhere. Yeah. And so we use in that class, we use sports to, to sort of teach some of these core ideas. And so, I, I mean, those have probably unintentionally trickled into some of the things that, that we do with the Cobras, but I, I will say we're my favorite team that I've ever been a part of. What are some of the things that it's done for you? I think it, it's reminded me of, of some of the things that I've, I say that I think are important. Every adult should be on a team in some capacity that isn't work, right? Like a, a recreational, social type mm-hmm. of team. I think we would have a much happier country if, if, if they were. I, I think a team is a setting where you are forced to kind of constantly confront yourself, mm-hmm. your, your deficiencies, yeah. your inadequacies, the things you do well, figuring out how do you contribute. And I know that like, I don't, I'm not going to be a plus hitter on the, mm-hmm. you know, like in the box, like it's probably not going to happen for me. So as you know, and maybe I can be replacement level, you know, in the field, like that's, mm-hmm. that's been my goal is like, you don't notice me in the field. You want to be, uh, I want to be like the offensive line. You told me, you, you know, like you told me once you wanted to be a designated fielder. Yes. A designated <laughs> fielder. So I don't have to get hit in the box, you know? So for me, it's sort of, it's forced me to kind of recognize like, okay, I have some physical athletic limitations, especially at this stage in my, in my life. I'm maybe not going to be this anymore. So what can I be? Can I be a glue guy, right? Can I be somebody who every single person on the team can feel a, a connection and warmth with that can can help mend things from behind and help, you know, like, can I play that kind of role? And so it, it being on a team as an adult forces you to, to really confront that and wait, like as a kid, you're a kid, you're delusional and you think like, you know, like my son has been playing flag football and loves flag football. He thinks he's like Barry Sanders mm-hmm. and he ain't. <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's having fun. The world will tell, will show him he's not Barry Sanders. So you're delusional as a kid and your aspirations are really like your everything is, is future oriented as an adult playing in a no stakes kind of situation. Everything is present. You know, I look at Wednesday practices as just this almost maybe sacred kind of space for us as an us to come together and continue this, whatever this journey we're on together is, mm-hmm. you know, like maybe there's a little dust up at practice. Maybe there's some things going on. Maybe there's some great plays. Maybe there, you know, like maybe it's everyone a, is we, different. Yeah. Every Wednesday is a little different. Every Wednesday is a little different. a little bit the same. Yeah. And just, but it, it, it's this opportunity to check in with yourself in a way that general adult living doesn't allow. Yeah. Coming to Sandlot, it has reminded me that this is what I, I believe to be true. I do think sports can be a context where good can occur. Mm. They're not, and, and my students would, would tell you this is one of my main talking points, like they are inherently or intrinsically neutral. They are a powerful context. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the problems that we see develop in and through sports come from an assumption or a presupposition that sports are good. So like my in my training of my students is to come at it from like sports are a powerful, neutral context that through your management or you, the way you design and deliver or create experiences, you can help sport achieve the potential that it has, but it doesn't do so automatically. Yeah, it makes me think 
that in some ways, like sport is a mirror and it shows us a reflection totally of, of who we are. Sports are us. Yeah. I, I say that all the time. Um, and they are, you know, like they're a place where you, you can't disentangle sports from politics, from, you know, all the, the and I know there's, there's certain folks that would prefer that because it's like sports is an escape for them. But mm-hmm. like, again, sports, they're, they're who we are. They're a reflection of us, a mirror into, into the, yeah. the debates, the conversations. All the big stuff. Yeah, Politics, they are. religion, money, I culture. mean, think about it, right? Yeah. And so that's, to me, that's what keeps me fascinated about sports and how they work. A lot of the questions that, the rhetorical questions you posed when you were putting yourself in the mindset of someone who is entering a team space were a lot of the questions that I was asking myself mm. when I first started coming to practice. Yeah. You know, what is my role here going to be? Right. You know, how am I going to participate in this space? I remember a few weeks ago, you pointed at this catcher's mitt and you were like, oh, you got this catcher's mitt. I got that catcher's mitt last year. I was sitting at home and I thought, oh, a catcher is a super value, you know, is, right, is, is, right. is, is, is not a place where a lot of people want to go on a baseball field, but I'm okay getting hit by baseball. So I'll go there sometimes. It is, I mean, as, as you know, like if you can pitch or you can catch, yeah, there's, there's some, especially if you're willing to catch in August in yeah, cent- central Texas, that again, that's the beauty of it. That like when you're a kid in this space, you don't have the, the, the life experience or the perspective to be able to, to think like, how do I like yeah. create a valuable role for, yeah. but when you look at like the highest performing championship teams, they have real clarity about roles mm-hmm. and people embrace their particular role, even if it's just being a utility infielder yeah, yeah. who can be plugged in as needed or whatever. Like, and so, because when you're a kid, everything is about like, how do I become a star? Right. Um, and that's nor- that's totally like normal. Yeah, and but... the systems that you talk about and study are designed and built to create stars. I mean, oh, that's their primary objective. One hundred percent, one hundred percent, to our own yeah. detriment, really. Baseball as this activity just has a lot of roles that you need to make it work well. It seems to me that there's something about it as a sport that makes it a really rich canvas for this sort of thing. And I'm, I'm wondering if you've ever thought about that or in your time playing, ha- have you considered the the aspects of the game and what make it conducive to this sort of style of play? That's a really good question that I don't know that I have a really good answer to. Baseball is a sport that is built on inefficiency. <laughs> I like right? that. Like it, and it, it's, that's what makes it beautiful. And that's where like the art kind of comes into it, right? Like you might look at baseball and think of it, oh, it's so numbers based and it's very easy to kind of quantify the impact of individuals because of the fact that it's not that inner, like the, it's not that inner dynamic, right? Like in a particular play, there are a set number of outcomes that that could be achieved. There is a likelihood that the ball is only going to be touched by maybe two to three people probably in the process of, of getting an out. And so it might mislead you into thinking like, oh, baseball is actually this very like kind of like mm-hmm. the clarity of the game and the, the way that you can kind of compartmentalize everything. But in fact, to me, what makes baseball so enduring in its, in, in its being something compelling for us is the fact that it's, it's inefficient mm. and, and you don't know when the game's going to end. Right. And, and that you can't set your watch to, right. 
to it and that, you know, so much of what we build into it is almost like a subconscious effort to just keep playing. And that, and that, you know, I know I, I made that distinction earlier between like organized and sandlot and the logics that kind of drive them. But I think that continues to be for me, like so fundamental is like, we really just want to keep playing. Yeah. And so how do we structure things in such a way to allow that, right? And the, and the Sandlot is the sort of symbolic space for not having time, not having, you know, like even clear boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like it's, the, it's this very symbolic space that you make what you will of. Is that a sentence? I'm not sure. Yeah, make of what you will. Yeah, make of what mm-hmm. you will. And, and I think that to me is what drives our collective enduring fascination but my, in, in kind of coming to baseball late, my fascination is like, how do we just get another at bat? Mm-hmm. Or how do we just play another, another inning? And, and the things that were the sort of adorable little things that we're doing and not realizing all the time to just create yeah. that. You were talking earlier about being on a team and experiencing, you know, struggling or experiencing failure. And there's a lot of that in in baseball, particularly because people will say about it, oh, it's a game of failure. Even the best people fail fail 70% 70 of the time time and all of that. What's been your experience of kind of encountering that failure? How has that worked in your mind and body? And then how does that show up in the Sandlot space? Well, I think the Sandlot space creates an opportunity to fail that is different, like qualitatively, like different than if I were to be playing in a competitive men's league or whatever, which I never would have been doing. Yeah. You know, so like, that's like almost like a non-starter with it. Um, You know, and I think when we talk about this, people might think it comes across as if we sound like we don't care, but like I get pissed off when I strike out, which happens a lot. I mean, I was furious when Junior from the, the Hard Narrows struck me out on three pitches looking every single one of them. It was one of the like low points of my otherwise glorious career. It's not that like swing and a miss, oh ho hum, you know, let I'm I'm having a great time. I don't like there's emotion built into all of this stuff. Nobody wants to have the spotlight on them and fail. However, the the half life of that failure is shorter, right? And maybe others might disagree. You so know, every everyone's half life is probably different. Yeah, for but me, but it moves around yeah. depending on how you respond to it. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing that's that's definitely like again, like kind of qualitatively different than like playing elite sports or coaching at an elite sports. How long I stay sort of upset mm. is much shorter, um, generally speaking, unless it was a particularly important moment or whatever, but I don't carry that, that with me, but kind of to your point, as I said earlier, it's weird to have as an adult, to have a context for development, right? Like a place where you can be trying to get actively better at something that you then have to perform or showcase in a public way. And so I've loved that element of it. It's, it's converted the failures into feedback, Right. So like, it's not failure, it's feedback. And I'm, I'm now going to tweak this and try like the amount of crap that I've adjusted with my, my stance and my swing and all of that. Sandlot allows me to, to look at that as an area of opportunity Mm -hmm. rather than an area of 
deficiency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I think that's what I love about it because to come back to like the recurring theme is like, because we're going to just keep playing. Yeah. Right. So like there's next time and the season's not over. We didn't lose in the championship game or the first round of the playoffs because I struck out. We might have lost to the Senators because I struck out or, you know, whatever it, it may be. But we, the fact that we can keep playing sort of converts that, that yeah. failure into like a, a feedback opportunity to tweak and improve. Well, it's almost like the, the narrative, that narrative is gone from from the collective narrative. There is no season over season turnover of, you know, like the stories like the Cubs didn't win a championship. Like you would never hear this Sandlot team didn't win a championship right. in 60 years. Like that stuff is totally gone from from the way people think about it. And, and removing that creates space for other things. Right. By not having standings, by each team being able to run their their squad how how they see fit by not having a championship or playoffs you remove those elements and it's a liberating like those are those are constraints that are put in place by design in traditional sports settings because mm-hmm. they allow us to determine the things we want to determine which is who is the best and and all right. that by releasing ourselves of that requirement it enables all these other things, right? It, it enables this much longer term trajectory for development. It allows us to treat failure as feedback. It'll, you know, like it, it shifts things in ways that are, I think, what's really attracting people to the space. Yeah. Right. It, Sandlot is by any measure booming, right? And, and right. there's a reason for that. There's a reason that, that more and more people of all different walks of life are seeing this product. Maybe they see it on Instagram, right? Which is where a lot of this has kind of organically, for better or worse, organically kind of been shared out. Um, or maybe they come to the long time or Go Valley or, you know, what one of these spaces and, and experience it in person. But it's it's something that is that has this sort of not not to try to be too um, cute about it, but like that that field of dreams at mm-hmm. like sort of like if you build it they will come and it's it's been built and you see people coming i've talked to a lot of people about playing sandlot this year and i was thinking this morning as i was getting ready to come in here and talk with you about how over the past few years at least in, in every space really not just sports and business and the way people live you know, you're seeing a lot of people who study this stuff or look at these spaces and look at these systems describe what they're seeing as a kind of an acceleration of trends, right? We're working from home more now. We were always going to be working from home eventually because of the technology and stuff, but we experienced an accelerating event in the pandemic and things have sped up. Is that something that you've observed? Why is that happening? And then, I don't know, the thing that people express to me most often is gratitude. Like there's a kind of gratitude for those spaces. So what what is causing that thankfulness? I know that's like a three-part no, doozy great, of a question. It's a great question. We I, I talk about this a lot in my in my classes, actually, from a more business standpoint. When we look at sports, um, and there's an NYU professor who's pretty big, named Scott Galloway, who called the you know COVID an accelerant. Right? It's like it's like this. Uh, we were going this. It's like lighter fluid. Lighter yeah, fluid. I see on a fire. you squeezing yeah. your hand. It's uh, mustard. Listener at home, <laughs> we're we're squeezing. We're pretending to squeeze lighter fluid onto my desk. 
And and I think that that's accurate. So like in sports, you know, when we look at big time sports, we saw things that were going to happen eventually, five to ten years down the road, happen in eighteen months. Look at the look at the revolution in college sports, right. for example, with the way that we allow transfers, with name, image, likeness stuff, conference realignment, all like just as one example. Those things are all coming eventually. But what COVID did and this this period did was it well in in professional sports and in major college sports it disrupted the revenue the the revenue models so acutely that it sort of forced us to to come out of our our naturally more kind of cautious iterative way of approaching things to our revenues are way down we got to figure out how to how we reshape and remodel what what we're doing here and I think, you know, that that, that same, in, a, in an analogy sense, like that can extend to people in their sporting social lives, right? So like we're seeing all these teams coming out now, you know, in, in, in Austin and, and beyond. And I think for a lot of people, the pandemic has been this accelerant in the sense it's like you have a finite amount of time on this planet that's combined with a little bit more flexibility in terms of for a lot of people, not everybody, in terms of like your work and your life and how you can balance those remotely, in person, whatever. And more fundamentally, though, more or most importantly, we are social creatures, so we need to connect with people. And the pandemic shook that up. We've long known that we needed to connect with people more in person, mm-hmm. that, that the social media mechanism for connecting was a false idol kind of right. a thing. You know, like it, it, it's actually doing more harm than than good because the way evolutionarily, the way that we're hardwired, we, we need to be in a space with people. And, and when you're in a space with people pursuing a superordinate goal, something bigger than yourself mm-hmm. as a part of a team concept, that is one of the most human experiences that we can have. And so coming out of the pandemic, people are seeking that in ways that, again, they may not be like conscious of, but but that are are a force driving, I think, the growth of, of this. We want connections with people. We need them. And we love, we love sports. We do. We're competitive. We like these things. Now we have a different model, though, that enables us to love sports without feeling like we have to win sports mm-hmm. in order to love it. So I, I think that's what's, at least in part, what's going on. Yeah. We can just keep playing. Just keep playing. Just keep right? playing. You've been doing this for a while. Mm. Now you've been playing baseball, even though you're not a baseball person. What keeps you playing? Just seeking the love and respect of my son. No. <laughs> Who's like, oh, you you got a hit? Cool. I was over here not paying attention. Yeah. But um, no, I, I mean, honestly, what keeps me playing is you, y- you know, and like our team that, that we have. Like, yeah. I don't want to be a baseball player. I want to be a Cobra. And... You know the the family that we've built around this this team, and, and and I'm sure lots of of the other teams that we play against yeah. feel feel very similar. Like to me, that's what what keeps me going. And, and the and the the idea that I can maybe get better at something. And yeah, but no, for me, it is it is the fellowship. It's the being a part of of something bigger than myself and contributing a small a small part to something. That, it, that exist independent of, of me. Like that's something that I didn't realize I needed until I found it. 
And, and I guess, I mean, I always obviously love sports. So like it was in there and that's what resonated with me, I think throughout my life. But yeah, I, I think I didn't realize until I arrived that this is where I needed to be. Thanks, Matt, for coming on the show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe if you liked what you heard. You can also follow us on Instagram for new episode teasers and even more Sounds of Sandlot. If you've got a heady baseball topic on your mind, I'm obviously down to go there. So send a message to Sandlot Social Club Podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to attach your abstract. But no pressure, because as Matt's quick to point out, Thankfully, most people don't have to live in my yeah. head. This is you why know, we like, never talk about animal. this during a game, right? <laughs> right? You know, this is really the first time we've sat down <laughs> right. to talk about anything. <laughs>